You're about to experience filling the air with words. Version 2.0, honoring Jane Shannon, who co-created this conversational podcast. On the Zoom line is the wonderful Bonnie Baker, who lives in San Miguel, Mexico. Did I get that right? Yes, that's right. San Miguel de Allende. Mm -hmm. She is an anthropologist, and she is the founder of Sateva. Sateva? Mm -hmm. That's right. Which is a what? A wellness consulting company and distribution company. And I met Bonnie through Greenspawn Network, which is now GSN Planet. And Bonnie most recently was the president of the board of directors. <laughs> wow. I'm talking to an ex-president. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, giving me, that's giving me way too much credit. <laughs> oh, man. I'm hoping that we can talk about another ex-president here before too long. You know the one I'm talking about. But you're in Mexico, so you don't pay attention to any of the antics that are going on in D.C., do you? Oh, I think it affects us all around the world. So I pay as little as necessary, but, uh, you know some level plugged in. What's going on in Mexico with COVID-19? Well, we are, um, there's a saying actually that is, for many years I've been hearing the saying that when the United States gets a cold, Mexico gets pneumonia. And uh, so oh, we're, we're hoping that this time will be a little bit less of an impact than that. But we're a couple of weeks behind uh, probably where the U.S. is. Um, just kind of ramping up. We're in what they call level two right now. And our last word this week from the officials is that we're looking at probably the greatest kind of impact happening the first week of May. Probably we'll be moving into a level three over the next several days. We're in the, the distancing phase. Um, schools are closed, you know, non-essential businesses are closed. But the truth is that when you start to look at the socioeconomic differences in a country like Mexico and many of the Latin countries, there is a certain level of life that just has not slowed down. And that is with people that just need to be working on a daily basis. They're at the markets, they're hand to mouth on a daily basis. So there's a certain amount of life that's just kind of keeping on, keeping on. Masks are readily available. Everybody's making them, but you know, those are the, the options that are still there for people to choose whether they want to or not. So we're in that phase at this point in time. When you look at what's happening in the United States from south of the border, what's the general perception of, of what you see happening here? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, gosh, Robert, you know, that really depends on who you're talking to. I think there is an overall view of just kind of decomposition. And that's just what's happening. Like things are just maybe falling apart. You know, there are some people that are a little more aware of it and worried about it than others. Uh, but I think, you know, overall we see, and it's apparent, there's a tremendous kind of breakdown of the systems and the norms that were in place for so many years. And so what's going to emerge out of that where we don't know yet. And then you throw this COVID you know, situation in the midst of all that was already shaky, it's much more shaky. So it's like, you know, we're just going into chaos as much as possible. And we'll see how everybody kind of, you know, fits into that. Again, the U.S. has quite an influence on what happens south of the border, especially in Mexico, a little bit in the rest of Latin America. But 
But certainly here, immediately we started to see a rise in the, the exchange rate and our tourism business was very affected. So there's, there's definitely a repercussion and we're very aware. But it just depends on, on, on who you're speaking with at the, the time and what, and what section, like what sector of the market are they in, you know, whether it is tourism or whether it is industry and, and that. How is it affecting your business? Our business, well, we're very much dependent on tourism. We're also a wellness company. So this is the essence of our business. This is what we've been talking about for years. And anybody that asks me, like, what do you recommend for this whole virus thing? It's really no different than what I've been recommending for years in terms of boosting your immune system, you know, taking care of your diet and moving your body, uh, taking some moments for meditation and reflection, and especially the relationship with nature, because I think that's the main key that we're looking at in terms of where this thing came from and how we're going to get out of it. But, you know, in terms of business, our spa's closed. We're not selling products to the resorts and the, you know, the companies that normally buy them. What we are selling are some of these immune boosting uh, remedies and tinctures that we've always been making from the biodynamic farm. Echinacea, antivirals, you know, different essential oil mixes, those are all on the rise. So that's, you know, that's nice to see that people are paying attention to something that we've been working with for so many years. But um, we are also in that phase of, you know, kind of economic restructuring, scaling back, looking for other creative ways to keep the economics flowing. And whether that's trades or you know, kind of paying it forward, that type of thing. We're, we're looking at how to be very creative. And the main, main, main thing, and this is what I am practicing and also preaching, <laughs> is staying far away from fear and not letting the anxiety and the uncertainty of the moment affect us on a very deep psychological level. Talk more about that. Well, it has so much to do with staying in the moment. You know, it was staying in the day-to-day, what can I concentrate on today? What closet can I clean out today? What, you know, artistic project can I engage in today? Who can I talk to that I haven't talked to in a long time? And just being very much in the moment, in, in the present, and making sure that my body, for what I feel today, is energized, I did some exercise, I ate well, I'm feeling good, you know, that, that's the immune boosting that we need. And then uh, not falling into that place of, you know, when's the next paycheck going to come in? When am I going to be back at work? Those places that are so easy and they constantly call us to go there, but it's an exercise in discipline to be able to kind of ride the wave and just be like, you know, right now I can't answer that question. So I'm not going to worry about it. In Spanish, we say preocupar, which means to occupy ourselves, ocupar, beforehand, you know. So we're not going to preoccupy ourselves. We're going to occupy ourselves. And so ocuparnos en lugar de preocuparnos. That is really, really good medicine because it keeps us in charge of what we can take care of and not what we just literally can't take care of right now. The fear is one of the first places where we have an immune suppression. You know, being in a place of fear, survival, worry, and anxiety is immediately immune suppressing. Yeah, that's the fight, flight, fear, and faint mechanism, right? Correct. And you can see it in like the reaction of animals or the possum, you know, when they're fearful and they're immobilized and they just stay in that like faint or in that, you know, 
kind of freezing mode. And that is what happens to us too. We become immobilized and we can't be in control. It's Earth Day, the day we're releasing this podcast. And Bonnie is, let's just say, knows a lot about ecology and the environment and that kind of thing. What? Just give me your impressions on what's happening with the planet. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I know any more than anybody else that's actually living on this planet. I mean, it just is, for me, it's an uh, exercise in observation and being in harmony. What is going on with this planet? Well, it's a, a huge wake-up call for us as a part of the equation. I think what we've been, you know, giving lip service to for so many years and talking about for so many years is finally here in our hands for us to engage with. And what do I mean about that? I think, you know, we have come from several hundred years of developing our rational, logical capabilities and mind. We've come into this dualistic approach to life and nature and our own bodies. So that's very much that logic versus intuition, you know, thinking versus feeling. And this approach to the world has caused a certain amount of, to, to use a term that might be a little bit more friendly, it's caused a little bit of an approach that, that subjectifies nature. And we wanted to come away from that into a place where we're not subjectifying nature anymore. We're actually incorporating back into nature. We're becoming, again, part of. And I've heard it said, and I very much like this, that human beings are the sympathetic part of the Earth's nervous system and that nature is the parasympathetic part of the Earth's nervous system or the Earth's ecosystem. And I think that's true because we are the conscious piece and nature is the subconscious piece. We are the thinking, but you can't have the thinking without the action and the action comes through feeling too. So it's about putting it all back together. And I think that's what the wake up call is right now. We've been saying this for a while and there have been people that have been pointing in this direction. Well, we on some level are taking part in this awakening. And so we can't blame a virus for this. We have to see ourselves as part of that equation. And the virus is the catalyst, you know? And so what are we looking at now that it's Earth Day? I personally am taking this as a reminder, a moment to reflect and shift some of my own interactions. And I consider our practices and our lifestyle to be quite healthy and quite eco-friendly. Uh, but there are things that we can do better, no? So I'm, I'm looking at four aspects that I'm hoping to cultivate in our lives this year, more of. And if we could all do that, I think we'd see a tremendous shift. One of them is being in rhythm with nature and rhythm of the four points throughout the year. So we tend to think of those four points as rather commercial. Christmas, Easter, 4th of July, <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. Um, but those are very superficial ways of looking at something that's much deeper part of the ecosystem. And those rhythms reflect in our own bodies. Uh, they reflect in the daily rhythms. So those daily rhythms also are what keeps track of our own biorhythms, our circadian rhythms. You know, we have a tendency to want to sleep at a certain time of the day wake up at a certain time of the day. So honoring those rhythms that are really what kind of keep us in harmony with the way that nature works, that is important. And I think that that's going to come more and more important as we see some of these other things crumbling. 
Another thing is the approach to the natural world from a point of stewardship. We're not here to control nature, but to be in in flow with nature and to see that earth body as the extension of our body. So it's that stewardship, it's that custodianship, the service that we can be in working with nature, plants, animals, and all of the different elements. The other thing is in celebration. So when we are able to be in contact, whether it's looking at a floor, collecting some flowers, walking in a garden, you know, whatever, playing with our cat, there's a celebratory aspect to it and being joyful and being festive and creating festivals around, you know, those moments in the rhythm of nature too. Those are important. So marking certain points throughout the year through festive activities and celebration rituals. And then the last one is being able to come back into that sense of awe. So awe and wonder like a child's mindset. I mean, it is fantastic. The earth that we live on is absolutely awe-inspiring and it is absolutely wonderful when we start to look at it that way so if we can come back into cultivating those qualities then i think that certain things will start to shift back into place now does that mean that we don't need to look at our economics and our financial and all these other situations we need to blend the two we need to look for ways where we can be living as equally comfortable in both spaces and that is what i would be working towards. So 50 years ago, this is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, and I'm certain you were not yet born. I, on the other <laughs> hand, was no in college. And just listening to you speak, I remember so many of the same things being said 50 years ago, right? And, and so the question that I would have when you look at the history of Earth Day. Do you feel like there's been a lot of progress made, no progress made, some? Uh, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> These are really good questions, right? Um, well, thank so, you. So <laughs> I think that there, there's always a reason for the direction that we've gone. I don't know if I would necessarily call it progress, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it has been for naught. You know, I mean, we can certainly look at these 50 years and take away learnings from it. And I think that that's the important thing to do right now. Would I have preferred to see that, you know, people would have been more responsible about the trash that's being unloaded into the oceans? Of course. Would I have preferred and still prefer to see the forests, you know, standing and that the tree is more valued with its root systems in the earth than it is as a beautiful table? Yes, those are things that I and my value system would hope for. However, we are where we are. And I think that the important thing now is to not stay in that place of devaluing these past 50 years, but of activating ourselves in a way that we can, maybe through technology, maybe through some of these learnings, we can become even more effective in preserving the natural world, even more effective in educating the new generations toward the value of the biodiversity and the natural world as it is designed. And the part of our own biology that is in the natural world. I mean, the biggest lesson we're taking away from all of this is that our own survival depends on the Earth's natural world. 
It doesn't depend on us. However, I do think that there is a co-evolutionary interdependence there. But we much more depend on our ecosystems being in balance in order for us to live on the surface of this planet. So it's not so much about what the past 50 years have done, but what the next 50 years are going to be. Do you think this is enough of a dramatic catalyst to get people to really start paying attention to that? <laughs> I think you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, I am hopeful. I am very optimistic. I'm always very optimistic because I believe profoundly in the potential of human beings. Now, do I think that there are tremendous distractions? Yes. And are we in a bit of an uphill battle still? Yes. So do I think it's going to get worse before it gets better? I do. However, I think that we are absolutely capable of avoiding catastrophe. I think that we're absolutely capable of realizing how much impact we can have and that it's up to us to decide to do that. But it's up to us now. Every day, that's why going back to being present, every day is a major day. You know, they say like the drop in the bucket. Well, every day is a major drop in the bucket if we are going to see that change. Some of these things that we've been talking about for so long in terms of, oh, someday and in the future and this and that and kind of, you know, without that really deep commitment, that deep commitment is now. So... That's, that's what's happening. I think we're facing some major challenges, but we're on the cusp. There does seem to be a group, a pretty large group of, of people who aren't paying attention, who are refusing to be mindful about what is going on. Is this the kind of thing that do you think it's getting that group's attention? What is going to get those, those groups' attention? Look, this is one of the greatest leveling occurrences that we've had. You know? It's one of the most humbling experiences that we could have as a human community, society. And so on some level, what could be happening is that when it comes down to these differences that we've been seeing uh, that are enhanced maybe over the past few years, especially socioeconomic differences, cultural differences, religious differences, all those differences the body doesn't care about what your color of skin is, what your culture is, what your religious belief is. It really doesn't care. There's a design in us and there's a design in nature that is simply going to follow a certain law of mechanics and electromagnetics and flow. So when it comes to, I mean, we just saw recently the prime minister of England in the hospital you know, succumbing to the same situation that so many other thousands of people are succumbing to. So there's a certain leveling of the playing field. Now we can go into different theories about, well, he had a different type of treatment and there's, that's irrelevant at this point in time. You know, we're all coming to face our mortality, <laughs> regardless of what we've done with our lives and our titles and our positions and the type of car we drive and all those things. That is the, that is the leveling field, you know? So I think on some level, there is a wake up that is going to happen, whether it's happening now because people are still really holding on as tight as they can to these you know, belief systems that they've been working with for so long. But there is going to come a time, I believe, quite soon, where that's just going to have to drop away. 
you know, it's just going to have to drop away because those are the only things that are separating us at this point in time. So I think that we're on a path towards that. Is this virus in this moment going to create that? Maybe for some, maybe not for the big shift, but there are things that we're just simply unaware of still that are being revealed that will help us to have a more well-rounded perspective on all of this, you know? I mean, even in our own biology, we think we understand how this virus works. And the truth is we just don't. So we're going at it with a, you know, a certain perspective on the whole picture, you know? And that's what it is. There's, there's a truth in there somewhere. And we're only seeing pieces of it at this point in time. So... I don't know if that answers your question. Maybe I skirted the issue a bit. <laughs> Maybe. You might have, but I was listening intently. And, and I realized we don't know, right? We, we don't know. have no idea. And where did this come from? Was it a lab in China? Was it a bat? I'm not sure I've ever seen anything, maybe 9-11 a little bit because there's questions and conspiracy theories about all of that, but it's just this huge, it's the biggest question mark I've ever seen. Do you have any theories yourself on this? <laughs> I want to go into my conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. I, I haven't talked about conspiracy theories on this podcast yet with anyone. So I don't know. Um, well, the one thing that really is interesting to me is how we are so, so trained and we're so desirous of finding the bad guy. You know, was it the bat? Was it the 5G? Was it the lab in China? Was it this person, that person, Bill Gates, whoever? We need to find that enemy that's outside of ourselves. And that, I think, for me, my own personal conspiracy theory is that switch from having this, again, it's that dualistic nature that we have of having to identify the bad one as other. And so it could be many of those things. You know, but that is what we have to start to get over is that it may not be any one of those things. It may not be that religion or it may not be that politician or it may not be that thing that we keep wanting to create as the evil, you know, because the truth that I believe is that the virus is simply coming in, affecting a purification process that we have internally. And this was very interesting to me to hear Louis Pasteur on his deathbed said, it's not the microbe, it's the terrain. So that is what is really resonating in, in my own mind, in my own addressing of this you know, virus as it comes close to everybody. What is the terrain that I am creating that will be able to meet this external pathogen in my life and, and how will I meet it? You know, but that is true of anything in the unknown. Am I going to come up in front of a, a religion that is different, a politician or politics that's different from mine? So that's the, that I think is the big paradigm shift here that we're having to look at. What is the terrain that I have that allows me to live within an incredibly biodiverse world and an incredibly diverse cultural awareness and all of these different things? Can I live within such a great diversity. And can I allow that to live? Because that's the big question. We don't want to allow that to live. You know, it's the bat. Oh my God, kill all the bats. You know, it's the mosquito. Get rid of mosquitoes. <laughs> so, so that's the biggest question. You know, nature designs these things, these microorganisms, these, these animals, these things. And 
they're designed for a reason. So am I able to be okay with that? That's a big question. But you're so right about our species needing a bad guy or a bad thing where we can just, would you say, kill the bats, kill the mosquitoes, you know, just an easy solution. But there's no easy solution here scientifically, spiritually, planet-wise, planetarily. I almost wanted to say (laughs) that. But there's nothing that's easy about this. And maybe it's much easier than we think. That's part of it too. Like when we are able to just observe nature and just kind of wander out there at some point in time, the flower is not thinking about how it needs to grow. It's just looking for the light, you know? Cats are not, uh, I have four, so (laughs) I observe them all the time. (laughs) You know, they're not thinking like, you know, should I lie here or should I lie there? there's, There's certain things that are at work inside of us that are probably a lot easier than we allow. And so part of this awakening is to find that ease, you know, to quiet down all that external noise that we're just constantly frenetic throughout the day and just be in this moment in my house with the people that are here with me and quiet it down, you know, just be okay with that quiet and then start to listen to what emerges out of my own system, my own biology, my own self-talk, you know, one of the biggest things that I start to see here is, are those self-conversations that people are having and how are they destructive or constructive? You know, and again, that's part of our whole wellness program and our wellness processes that we've been talking about for so long. But now is where you start to see how they really do affect us, how they affect our biology. And it's curious because we are still learning about that. We are still learning about some of those mechanisms that work within, our, within ourselves that allow us to hear that still small voice or to have a sense of right and wrong. You know, I mean, where is that moral compass that tells us, no, that's fake news. No, that's real news. You know, and that tells us in this world of constant, like, you know, we don't have anything to hold on to anymore. And this started a couple of years ago before the virus. It was already a breakdown of what we could hold on to as reality. You know, this fake news thing and this is coming out of, you know, this other part of the world. But is it not or is it really? And so there was this this questioning of what is it really that's happening? So there's fertile ground for conspiracies and fertile ground for this questioning. So where do we have to look now? We have to look more internal and we have to look more towards a compass or a guide that says, I'm going to live my life according to this set of guidelines or values because I have, humans are the only ones in nature that have free will. We're the only ones that can choose the way we want to go. That was said by a very wise teacher of ours, Dennis Kloschek. And I find it very interesting because if we really look at the fact, I am free to choose the way I'm going to live into this, then it opens up tremendous responsibility. But it also opens it up for me to say, okay, I'm going to choose to live in a way that is health-giving and not life-depleting. What you just said feels right to me. And I think about all of the people that I know who are mindful. That's probably most of the people I know. But I also know a lot of Mm -hmm. people who are the opposite of mindful, who have a locked in thought feeling process that 
I cannot, despite any persuasive argument that I make, there's no way I can get them to listen to anything. You know, it's the typical deal. It's like, wow, look at the blue sky. Well, there's, it's not all blue, right? What's the best way to kind of get the people who aren't mindfully thinking about all of this more toward mindfully thinking about all of this? That's a really difficult question. And I think that that's been a, you know, part of the human condition for so many thousands of years. And I think we're at a shift now because, you know, there used to be maybe an attempt to convince or proselytize or, you know, affect change. All of that is great. But the truth of the matter is that because of that free will that we just talked about, there is an electoral process that each person has to make in terms of how they decide to lead their lives. And nobody else can do it for them. So one of the things that we don't understand about our biology at this point in time or about the way the world works is something that is called resonance or something that is referred to sometimes as field you know, the field that's created. And I do believe that. And the more that I start to look and study through scientific methods, what's happening on a non-tangible level between people and this kind of quantum level, you create resonance and people will be attracted or repulsed by that. And so what we have to be responsible for is not what the other is doing. We have to be responsible for what we're doing. Again, creating that terrain in here. And so if I'm able to create a resonance with the way I think and maintain my thought processes, maintain my energy level, maintain my constant conversation. And again, I talk about hygiene, the external hygiene of cleaning out, washing your hands and and washing out your areas, but also the internal hygiene of what am I thinking? What am I consuming? What am I putting out there in terms of my speech and my, my words? Those things can have as great or more of an effect on what other people do. So I'm not going to win any arguments anymore. And I've tried this with my friends and family. (laughs) And it's just frustrating for me, you know. So what do I do? I can only lead by example. I can only lead by really polishing up those things that I'm doing myself. And if somebody doesn't want to hear what I have to say, they won't listen because I can talk at them for hours. And if they don't want to hear what I have to say, they won't hear it. You know, however, if I'm talking about something that truly feels right to me and feels like, you know, you said on fire, well, I feel very much at this moment in time as an anthropologist living in this evolutionary period on the earth, this is why I'm here. It's like activating me on a way that maybe in the past hasn't been. You know, I'm in the wellness industry. This is real wellness. This is really what we've been talking about. So why not? I'm like fully engaged, you know, putting it all into practice. So I think that that's really it. We're not going to be out there convincing anybody to change. Back to Earth Day. So 50 years and progress. People are more... I think, mindful about our planet now. There's definitely a movement going on where there's a tie-in to what's happening with COVID-19 and we're paying so much attention to it and I see a lot of activists out there, rightfully so, I think, okay, you're paying a lot of attention to this and the chaos it's creating. How about you start 
paying a little bit of attention <laughs> to the planet because we're seeing horrible things now. Just imagine if New York went underwater. We're heading in that direction probably 100 years from now. I don't know what the statistics are, but, but do you see any connection there? When, when you see those things, what do you think? Well, again, I think that it all has to come back to how do we live a daily life, you know, and do all of our actions, do all of our business engagements, do all of our teachings, purchases, do they all move in a direction of supporting life on this planet? Or do we know that somewhere down the chain, there is a depletion or an orientation towards somebody's going to get sick or there's going to be, you know, environmental impact or this type of thing. So I think that there is a tremendous shift that has to happen, especially among decision makers, that they sit down and they look at, all right, this is the way we've been operating our business, or this is the way we've been making our decisions or, you know, building laws, writing books, whatever it is. And there has to become a personal responsibility, again, the free choice to say, Anything that I see that my actions are creating a break in that chain, a sickness, a depletion, I'm going to try to diminish it or reposition it or create something that will counterbalance it. That can happen. It can happen quickly, slowly, you know, in different kind of measures. But that's what has to happen. Because if we all take the responsibility of living on this planet in a communal way, then I'm going to be just as concerned about your welfare and your family's welfare as I am about mine. And I'm not going to go out and hoard all the toilet paper so that you have none and I have too much that I can't even use. You know what I mean? Like as a simple comparison. I mean, here in Mexico, people just laugh that there's like a concern about toilet paper. That's not our concern, you know? Yes, we're going to find a way to be hygienic and clean, but it just doesn't make sense. So I think that there is that shift that has to happen where, you know, technology is there. We can come up with a better solution than plastics. We can come up with a way to preserve the forests. We can do it. The decision has to be made. So is New York and Miami and many other you know, cities, are they in danger of going underwater? Yes. And what can happen between now and that point that can counterbalance it? We've seen it. This virus has been a fantastic teacher. Nature can do a reset with very little time. Animals come back out, water cleans, air purifies, there is a natural regenerative process that the natural world has and that we also have in our bodies when we allow those mechanics to work. And we just have to listen. Bonnie Thank Baker you. in San Miguel. Say it again. Where are you? San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. De Allende, founder of... Sateva. Say thank you, Robert. It's been a pleasure in Spanish for me, just to sign us off. Ay, muchas gracias, Roberto. Ha sido un placer, de verdad. <laughs> You've been listening to Filling the Air with Words, version 2.0. Find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitter. Dedicated to the life and memory of our friend Jane Shannon.